Well, good morning. It's always good to be back in Canada, but especially in Muskoka. My inner Canadian comes out when I come up here, and so um, to see brothers and sisters from Muskoka is um, uh, a great joy uh, to me and my family. We miss you dearly. We think and pray for you often, and so uh, the privilege to, to come here and preach in Huntsville for the first time, preach in Bracebridge this morning. Um, Brace, Bracebridge was great. It was a, the Lord was moving there, and, and so to, to kind of break in this building with you guys is a, um, a deep honor. Uh, we're going to be in Psalm 131 today, um, so if you have a Bible... Um, open to Psalm 131. If you do not have a Bible and you would like a Bible, raise your hand and one of our ushers will hand you a Bible. And if you don't own one, please take that home. Super important to to be in the word of God and to to know what God says about himself, how he's revealed himself to us as a people trying to follow him. And so we would love for you to take that home. Um, Before we get into the word, um, let me pray for us and then we will dive in. So Father, uh, what a privilege it is to be here with such sweet people, uh, people that are dear uh, to me, um, but, but people that I know that you care for far better than, than any man or woman or person could care for. And so to see what you're doing here, to see how you're moving in individual hearts and, and, and families and, and this community, Lord, thank you so much to, to, to be a part of that and to watch that and to see you build your church, to build your kingdom. So uh, as we have sung these songs to you and worshiped you, we pray that, that, that you would receive it with gladness. As we now set under your word, God, uh, would you do in our hearts what only your word can do to the deep places? Would you minister? Would you heal? Would you equip? Would you encourage? Would you build up um, each individual heart uh, and this church for your namesake? And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would move freely in this room, move freely and and move in our hearts and lead us to life in God and hope in God through your son, Jesus Christ. And if there's anything, Father, in this room that would hinder a work of your spirit individually or even corporately, I pray in Jesus' name that you would silence it, you send it away so that we could dwell with you and sit under you and, 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 and rest in your care right now. So let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, O God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Psalm 131. So if you've ever wanted to brag to somebody um, that you've memorized a chapter of Scripture, this would be the one. Um, it's only three verses. Um, and you don't have to tell them that. You could just say you've memorized a chapter of Scripture and, and, and brag that way. But uh, Psalm 131 is, is a profound chapter of Scripture. I've, I've used Psalm 131 many, 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 many times, countless times even uh, in my own life. Um, and in that much more in the counseling ministry that I've, that I've b- had the privilege to be a part of since 2005. And when I use Psalm 131, I often use it in a particular way. Um, and so when I'm setting with maybe a counselee, like an individual, or maybe it's a couple that I'm setting with, I'll give them Psalm 31 and I'll give them a homework assignment. I'll say, okay, here's one, Psalm 131. I'll read through it with them and highlight just a couple things, but I really want them to do the work of pressing into it as homework. And I'll send them home with this assignment. You read Psalm 131 every day, maybe even a couple times a day. And every time you read it, pull out your journal and write down what the Lord shows you each and every day. And then bring it back. And when we sit down next time we meet in a week or two weeks, whenever that is, we'll go over that. And when they come back and we sit down and we read through it and begin to go out, I'll ask them this question. What verse jumps out to you? So that's a question to you. 
Look right now. Don't look at me. Look at your Bible. What verse jumps out to you the most? Nearly always, nearly always, it's verse 2. So let me read verse 2 for you, and it's quite appealing. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. That sounds very appealing. Because do we not live in a world filled with noise and chaos, right? Am I the only one? Yeah, you can respond with me. Like we live in a loud world. Like it's always going, the hustle and the bustle and the busyness and the the emails and the text messages. and, And I'm not even on social media and it wears me out. Like it's over and over this noisy, noisy life that we live. And then we see a verse like two and we're like, man, that sounds super fun. That sounds like something I would long for. Let me tell you why that verse is so appealing. The reason is because God's hardwired us as the people of peace. You see it right in Genesis 1 and 2. The reason you don't like chaos is because God made you for peace. And if you do enjoy chaos, I would contend something's broken in you. Like something's fractured there. The reason you like chaos, there's probably a really bad story behind that. By and large, people don't enjoy chaos. They don't enjoy noise, and yet it's all around us. And what the psalmist is going to do here is profound. These three verses, although simple, have deep gospel meaning that we need to press into. But to understand what David is saying in Psalm 131, we have to understand what he's not saying. Does that make sense? Okay, here's what he's not saying. Psalm 131 is not a meditative state or philosophical enlightenment. So it's not yoga. It's not burning some incense and just sitting with your cup of coffee and reading this and feeling all good about yourself. That is not what this is. You'll see why in a second. Psalm 131 is not a guide to a carefree, easygoing personality. So Psalm 131 is not, you just need to chill, bro. That's not what Psalm 131 is. It's not, if you could just be a little bit more like calm and chilled out, people would enjoy you more. That's not these verses. Um, Charles Spurgeon is one of my, my favorite fathers of the faith. If you are not familiar with his writings and his ministry, you need to get familiar with Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon, at the age of 21, had the largest church in the world in England um, and, and, and ended his ministry well. We see that fewer and fewer, don't we? He lived his life and ended his ministry well. And I would contend that his ministry, he, he, the suffering that he endured, might be the greatest of any theologian in our modern time. Like he endured in unimaginable suffering. And here's what he said about Psalm 131. It's one of the hardest, one of the shortest Psalms to read, but one of the longest to learn. And that's just the case. Like you have a day where you're like, oh yeah, I'm verse two in it today. Verse two in it, calmed and quieted my soul. And then like five minutes later, Rage Against the Machine comes out. That's a band, by the way. That's my generation. I just lost people older. And then like all the millennials like, oh, a man. You go rage all of a sudden. I've got four kids that provoke it early and often in me. <laughs> he also said this. He describes a psalm as a song of the Israelites returning from Babylon with humble hearts having been weaned from their idols. The, the story of the Old Testament, if you, if you do a historical study of the Old Testament, even into the New Testament, and you see how often uh, the people of Israel are brought into captivity or taken into captivity, 
it's, there's four major ones. I, I would contend there's five because I would include the Egyptians in there. When Moses parted the Red Sea, that, that was some serious enslavement. But they hadn't entered the promised land yet, okay? That's why God delivered them from the wilderness into the promised land. The, the four are uh, the, the Babylonians. That was a pretty serious one. That was a terrible time. They were exiled into Babylon. Um, you see the Persians come when they get back to the promised land. The Persians come and take them over at one point. Alexander the Great and the Greeks take them over at one point, And then Rome sets in. They've been a, a, a people that have been constantly in captivity. And the Babylonian ones always stick out to me the most because the Babylonians, it talks so much about their disobedience and their choosing other gods and God let them be taken over. So here's what he's saying, that he says that, that this Psalm is speaking to that reality that they had been turned over to captivity and been dealt with, dealt with severely and they're coming back to the Lord, singing this song of praise, because this is a psalm of an ascent, Psalm 131, that these psalms of ascents were used to prepare the hearts, the people, the hearts of the people for worship. So they would sing these songs, remembering something. You, you ever sung a song and it brings great emotion because it's tied to something significant? That's this, that's this. They, they had forsaken their God and he handed them over into captivity and by his grace, he let them go there so that they, get, they could be weaned of false gods. That is not judgment, brothers and sisters. That is God's mercy. That he would let them be squeezed so that they would come to their end and return to him. That's grace. And they're calling out to him in that grace right there. That's what Spurgeon says. So to understand the significance of each verse, we have to look at them from the opposite angle. Because what David's doing, he's saying, I am not certain things, and I am certain things. So we have to turn these verses on their head and see them from the opposite angle. And the reason for that is because um, to be able to say that you're not something, you have to know what that something is. So example, like if you grew up in an alcoholic home, but that was normal to you and you didn't know alcohol, alcoholism was a thing, you had to be taught that that's bad, that that's messed up, right? Does that make sense? To, to, to be able to know what's not, you have to know what is, Okay. Um, and, and so, I mean, I, the older I get, the more I apologize to my parents. I'll say it that way. Young and dumb. And now I'm 40 and I'm still probably pretty dumb, but I'm like, man, I was really dumb there. That's the point. Like David is saying, I am and I am not certain things that we're going to impact because I've been there. And God rescued me from that place. It's the three verses of beauty and hope that are found in Christ. So here's verse one. Let's look at this. Oh, Lord. My heart is not lifted up. If you've ever heard me preach, you've heard me talk about the heart, the soul, the inner man. And, and David starts in the most important place. The idea of heart, think of like a control center. Everybody has eternality in them. It's called the soul. It's either eternally damned or eternally redeemed through Jesus Christ. So everything about your physical stature is wasting away, scripture would say. But this heart that David's starting with, it's the only thing about you that's eternal. So he starts with the control center. Oh, Lord, my control center, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. So here's what David does. Again, we're going to approach it from the opposite angle. He's saying, I am not these things. I'm not lifted up. I'm not raised too high. And in so doing, he's pointing out two forms of pride. The first one is seen in the phrase lifted up. This phrase lifted up. It means haughty, 
H-A-U-G-H-T-Y. Not like, look at that hottie over there. Man, she looks good or whatever. That's not what that is, okay? Haughty, haughty, it's full of self. Elevate self above others. Maybe not by deed, but for sure by mental exercise, okay? And here's the, here's the secondary rea- reality of this lifted up, this haughtiness. The secondary reality is not only do you have a grandiose view of yourself, you also use people for selfish gain. So in other words, you have a low view of people because you have such an elevated view of self and they're simply a means to an end. That's not a compliment. And yet, do we all do this? How many relationships you have around you that you benefit probably more than you realize and if you stop benefiting, it'd be easy for you to back away from it. That's called haughtiness. And David is pointing that out like he was this at one point. I am not lifted up, second form of pride. My eyes are not raised too high. And this phrase, this idea, it's the, the, the presumptuous pride, the pride of presumption. And, and the way I like to say it in counseling is we look at things above our pay grade and think that we can manage them. And I think that's just a great myth. I think it's a great myth. I think, like, this is the like, example I like to kind of go with. Um, we think we know a lot till we're faced with the need to have brain surgery. I've got a dear friend who's a brain surgeon. He's retired. And then when we talk to a brain surgeon and he tells you, yeah, we really only know about 6% of the human brain. Huh? And you're going to do surgery on my brain? It's above my pay grade. And then it's above his pay grade. Like if, if we put things on a scale, we see rather quickly that many things are too great for us. And yet we fake it till we make it. That's the pride of presumption. That's the pride of presumption. So David, again, he's saying, he's saying these things having been trapped in this pride before. Things too great, too marvelous. So his heart has been subdued. His heart is, is content. He's coming to a place of silence and, 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 and peace and rest in the depths of his heart. But on the opposite side of that, you have to see what he's saying. Isaiah 57, 20 through 21, write that down. You can look it up later this week. I'll read it for us. But the wicked, that word wicked, is self-ruled, evil, evil, unbelieving heart. It's called pride. Pride is unbelievably wicked before the Father. I saw a billboard the other day that made me sick. It was celebrating pride. It said, pride is awesome. And I was like, oh, Lord. I would say it's our biggest problem. And, 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 and here we see that, that David's been humbled. Isaiah 57, but the wicked, the prideful, are like a tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet. And its waters toss up mire and dirt. You ever been, I mean, you got lots of lakes around here, but you ever been to the ocean and the, the waves begin to move in and it draws the silt on the bottom of the ocean floor? There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked, for the self-ruled. So here's what David is saying. If you walk in this type of pride, by default, it means you have a noisy soul. So he's, he's, creating, he's creating some categories for us. Now, we can't do anything about the noise around us, can we not? Like, anybody? Like, noise is all around us, and we can do very little about it most of the time. I mean, I can tell my kids, be quiet, and, and it's somewhat effective. But, but by and large, the noise around, it's, you're at the mercy of it to some degree. What David is saying is that when you can discern that noise is actually in your heart, that's on you because that's your pride being revealed. 
One plus one equals two is what he's saying. You can't have a noisy soul and not have pride. Pretty indicting, isn't it? I mean, this morning, (laughs) this morning I wake up and I drive my route that I always drove in Bracebridge. I drove down Glendale. I went down in front of the church office and it's always so cold here, guys. Oh my gosh. My truck didn't even have time to warm up. So I'm like, I'm gonna take a drive. So I would drive early in the morning right by the office. I'd go up to Manitoba, down High Falls, loop around, get my coffee at McDonald's, three cream, two sugar, blueberry muffin. Did the whole routine this morning. And on my drive, as I was driving to prepare to preach to dear people, dear friends, voices and noise of condemnation were flooding into my heart, okay? And I'm gonna build on this story, but, but, but as these, these, these con- condemning voices, this noise began to settle into my soul, uh, I was hearing things and seeing faces of people that are dear to me, and, and, and instead of celebrating that, I, I could hear myself critiquing it. Well, you didn't do this good enough. Remember that couple you didn't help? Remember that situation you didn't build and remember this and, and, and it was just going over me. The noise was loud. You ever had that? Have you woke up to a condemning voice? <laughs> Everyone has. And, and it washed over me and it was loud. It was loud. And I'm sitting down to prepare to preach this. And then verse two, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. That word quieted, circle that in your Bible. It is not a passive statement. It's very definitive. Uh, You guys know about building around here, huh? Yeah, where I'm from, like we build similarly, but we don't have to blow up granite to put a house in. (laughs) But the process is the same process is the same. If you were given a plot of land, whether that be up here or where I'm from, where the limestone is, like you, you wouldn't just put a house on top of it. What do you have to do first? Prepare the foundation. This word quieted means to level like a bulldozer. Is that passive? You see why it's not yoga? See why it's not incense burning with a cup of coffee? This is unbelievably active work that David's doing. So let's go back to my story this morning. <laughs> condemning voice, noise, swirling around in my heart as I'm preparing myself before the Lord to preach to God's people. And all I hear is condemnation. (laughs) I had to turn worship on just to calm my soul down and get to the point where like, what is this going on in me? And this this voice, and it it had to be the Holy Spirit. The Spirit said to me in, in my heart of hearts, I don't need you to build my kingdom, Lee. And behind that is a truth that even if I dropped the ball, even if I misstepped on some things or didn't give enough effort, God's not needing me to build his kingdom. That's a bedrock I can rest on. And as I let that wash over my heart, I begin to be free of the need to like, I don't have to wear any of this. In fact, now I'm gonna choose to celebrate all the things I saw you do in those years that we lived here. That's quieting the soul. It's not passive. It's drawing truth into the depth of your person and doing it over and over again. And let's be honest. We have no truth in us apart from God. That if it's truth, it's his, which means it's for his glory and for our good. Always, without question. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. 
like he's taking active measures to preach truth to his soul. So here's the gospel truth right here. This is dying to the desires that Christ has already died for, amen? So when that desire, when that noise begins to go off, it gets to get checked right next to the gospel. And if it can't measure up to the good news of Jesus Christ, see you later. Because if Jesus doesn't say it over me, I'm not listening to it. And if Jesus would call me into that to deal with that in some form or fashion, I'm doing it as unto him, not to, he's preaching. That's very active, is it not? And this is what he does. He's preaching truth into the depths of his soul. So dying to these desires that Christ has already died for, it's telling self-exalting desires, you don't own me. It's preaching the gospel to the depths of your soul into the deep corners. This process is very active. It's not subconscious. It's not meditative. So here's what we've seen. This psalm is not yoga. Joke about that. They love yoga in Austin. It's freaking weird. I mean, they got like, you literally can go to a coffee shop and there's yoga mat holders. That's bizarre to me. And I'm, I'm not necessarily anti-yoga, although I do think it opens up some things, but that's another sermon. Um, and I'm leaving, so you don't have to get into this debate with me. But nonetheless, <laughs> it's not yoga. It's not meditative. It's not philosophical enlightenment. It's not higher consciousness. Ultimately, it's a picture of how Jesus lived out his life. It's self-mastery by the grace of God through relationship with Jesus. And then I want you to see this weaned, like a weaned child. You ever weaned yourself off anything? Think New Year's resolutions. They last about two weeks because you start to get like, you're like an addict. And you're like, I gotta have it back, I can't, yeah. Weaning's a violent process, is it not? It's intense. It's not easy. But here's what the word weaned means. This word literally means it no longer frets for what it used to find indispensable. So think of, it, think of an infant with its need for milk. Mothers know this very well. Fathers know it to some degree because they kind of maybe get a baby thrown in their arms and they're like, just give me a bottle, give me something. But, but the, this infant's need for milk is significant, is it not? Right? And yet you have this, this infant pictured here in the arms of its caretaker and so content with the care that it doesn't even long for the very sustenance that would keep it alive because its life is found in its caretaker. That's a beautiful picture. So all these needs we have in life, right? That's a word that's super loaded. How many needs do we actually have? I need to breathe. I need to eat. I need to drink water. I need my heart to beat. I don't need new shoes. I don't need a new car. I don't need this type of house. They're desires, but they're not needs, but we put them in the need category. Right here, you see the soul that's in its caretaker's arms and all the things of the world are not needed anymore. It's the best place on earth right there. I think the evaluation we have to do right now is like, what, what do I need more than I should? Because that leaves me longing for that rather than the greatest caretaker, the, the one who actually created your soul and redeemed your soul through his son. God, our father, <laughs> the greatest caretaker who's described as a shepherd in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. There's no greater metaphor in all of scripture that's holistic in his provision, in his care, in his restoration, in his healing than shepherd. And that's the one holding this weaned infant. 
So like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. So this freedom, this contentment, this peace, it won't come through introspection. And like people pay me to help them do introspection. And I kind of want to tell them it's not about introspection. It's about repentance. It's about humbling your heart under the mighty hand of the Lord. Introspect that. That didn't take a lot of willpower to do. It's just like, I can't, you can, I'm a mess without you. Do your will in me. But our pride doesn't say that, does it? We don't bend a knee. We don't bend a knee. This freedom, this contentment, it will not come through introspection. Only by being weaned from insubstantial ambitions to the only solid fare that can be ours. It's putting oneself under, submitted under the holistic care and provision of the Lord. So here's where I got to point out a significant danger. Like I need you to really focus in. Here's the danger. I think we read this and and by and large, I I think people are probably like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, I definitely probably have some pride. If you don't, I would like to talk with you afterwards. Give me about 10 minutes and I'll point it out in me first, safe place, and then you. Um, We have pride, all of us. It's our biggest problem. Starts in Genesis 3, Hebrews 3.12 talks about the evil, unbelieving heart that even as a believer in Christ, we still have unbelief. Get your mind around that one. That pride is our great enemy. And Satan does all kinds of stuff with the pride in our lives. Here's the danger. You're agreeing with me. You're walking with me. You're like, yeah, I'm in. Nobody likes noise. Nobody likes noise. We have this terrible ability to be not like the weaned child, but to silence the noise, not the noise around us, because I've, I've already kind of contended we can't do a lot about that, by and large. But when the noise is in you, you have to know that. When the noise is in you, what do you draw in to silence it? It's called a false savior, because it cannot bring about wean, weanness. It can't. It can't bring contentment. It can't deliver peace to your soul. What do you draw in? This is the danger right here. And everybody's got to wrestle right now. I know I did this morning. I'm going to be wrestling. This is, I've been preaching this, these verses to myself for a long time, even more this year because of some circumstances. When I feel noise inside, I don't like it. And I don't think I'm a fool for not liking it. But what I do is, rather than drawing in the Lord, I go above my pay grade in my pride and I draw something else in to quiet the soul. And it feels right for a bit until the noise comes back and the discontentment sets back in. Those false saviors can't silence the noise. And those false saviors over time end up becoming idols. And the reasons the Babylonians were thrown into captivity by God, he allowed them to be handed over, was idolatry. (laughs) But we've already established that was God's grace. And I'll show you why in verse 3. Verse 3. Oh, Israel. That word Israel, like circle that and like write beloved. Sons and daughters. Oh, sons and daughters. Oh, loved ones. That's what he said. Oh, my children, hope in the Lord. This hope means it's confident expectation and trust. Tim Keller says this, your hope is that which you expect and are sure will satisfy your deepest desires. Oh, children, put your deepest longings, 
your deepest hopes, your deepest expectations onto me. Hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Here's what he's saying. He's saying like, if you're mine, here's what you have. Here's what I extend to you through my son. And because of that truth, I'll go to war for you. But in our pride, we feel the noise and we go to war for ourselves. And as a result, we live toil-filled lives. Because I've yet to hear a self-help there's, go to the self-help, self-help section of a bookstore one time. It's gonna be the largest section in the store. And not one of them has actually found the thing that's gonna deliver people to actual peace forever and forever, amen. Not a one of them. They have little, little nuggets in there that our hearts are kind of drawn to. But what God says in his word is through his son, he has reconciled, him to, reconciled us to himself so that we met, might have life and peace and joy and hope And even in the midst of the storm, when noise is all around us, it doesn't have to invade our soul because we're grounded in him. I know of no other hope that can deliver that promise except Jesus Christ. He delivers that hope. This psalm expresses Jesus' life experience. We see in John 6.38 that he submits to the will of the Father who sent him. Now get this picture. Jesus is part of the Godhead. So God, God the Father, God the Son, that's Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit, they've been around forever. Get your mind around that one. One God, three persons. Jesus, according to the will of God's, the will of God's, uh, the, the desire of God to, 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 to bring about redemption to a people, Jesus checked his authority at the door, entered into a fallen world, experienced all the pains and difficulties that we do to the nth degree, yet did it without sinning. And then the sinless man died for our sins. He checked his authority and submitted to the will of the Father. He preached truth to his soul in the face of noise, and we're the benefactors of it. So why would we go and try to silence the noise when we have the one who silenced it for us? You know who silenced the accuser this morning? It wasn't me. It was Jesus' words. No, I'll build my church, Lee. You were a piece of that here, but I never needed you. I'm building my church. But remember what I did in this couple? Remember what I did there? And so my heart began to turn from criticality to praise for what he had done and what he's going to continue to do. All because he's God. He's redeeming. And when my heart's submitted there, there's no better place. There's no better place. So you nearly have to reverse the order of these verses to get the full meaning of them. Verse three, sons and daughters, beloved. If you don't have that, you can't do verse one and two. You'll be full of pride and no ability to speak truth to your soul and quiet the noise. You won't. So that's my plea to you right now. If you're one of his, oh my gosh, don't get old. Don't get tired of that. Like revel in that. Like enjoy that. Like you have a seat at the table. Like God's invited you into his home, not the curb. Like, yeah, you can't come in. You're a bit too dirty. Come right in, son. Come right in, daughter. You have that through his son that never gets old. (laughs) If you're not, if you're not in Christ, 
and you're on the outside looking in, today's the day to run to him so that you can be welcomed into the family of God. Not because of anything you've done, but because of Jesus Christ has done. So it starts with sons and daughters. And, And when you really understand what you've been redeemed from, you have a great appreciation for the blood of Jesus, amen? You ever feel large and in charge after that? I don't. I want to throw my face on the floor and say, who am I that you would do this for me? What love is this? You're right-sized before God when you're submitted to him. When you walk in pride, you downplay your new identity in Christ and upsell something about you that is actually evil in the face of a holy God. Sons and daughters, right-sized before God, and then guess what? You can draw truth in and speak it to your soul. And in that order. A noisy soul reveals pride, which creates fertile ground to self-soothe, to numb, or control the noise. Ultimately, what is exposed is false hope in something or someone other than Christ. Psalm 131 overthrows the powers that be in order to establish the reign of him who is. When we get our hope from the right place, we become right-sized. We can be at rest and content in the arms of our Lord. Earlier this year, my mother was diagnosed with colon cancer. So we've been walking that out with her. And I'm 40 years old. I was diagnosed with a disease called Crohn's disease when I was 14, and she has a disease similar to mine, okay? So since I was 14, I've had doctors tell me I have a higher risk for colon cancer. That's a nice thing to have hanging over your head. And so when I got the call by my mom, I say this to my shame. You know where I went? What about me? my shame. I didn't go to her. I didn't go to thoughts of her and prayers for her and comfort to her to minister to her. What about me? And then the noise was loud for days. Like I was in a, a funk that I've not been in in some time that early part of the year. She finished her fourth round of chemo this past Friday. So still like stuff will happen where my heart can get lulled back there. And I'll go, well, what, what about me? And, and yet what the Lord's done is like, what about you? I've already redeemed you. So, so what if that happens? You don't know I'm there. You're not, Lee. And even if it does, even if cancer kills you one day, that's not who you are. You're my son. I go far out with fear. And the noise just gets louder and louder and louder, and drawing off my identity in Christ through God subdues me and brings me low to trust that he's omniscient and omnipresent and all-powerful, and I can call on him even in the face of cancer, and guess what that freed me up to do? Minister to my mom instead of worry about me. Minister to others who are hurting instead of always being consumed with my noise. Frees me up. The gospel frees me up. And there's nothing passive about it. It's very active. So I think we've got some business to do with the Lord. So I've got three prayer points. 
And I want everybody to bow their head and close their eyes. And I'm going to walk us through these. So write in your own heart right now. Ask the Lord to calm you and to steal you so that you can hear from him. Do that right now. Here's the first one. Before we ask anything of the Lord, let's think and praise God for his sovereign, all-powerful ways. Think of a couple situations where God showed up and did what only God can do. And just praise him for it. Thank him for it. Thank him for his attributes that the scriptures talk about, that he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, that he never sleeps, that he's concerned with you, that he cares for you, and just bless him. First Chronicles says this, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all this is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Or here's the second one. Just keep praying. Think and praise him for the hope we have through Jesus Christ. <laughs> Just bless the name of Jesus right now. You know how hopeless we would be without him? We already wrestle with hopeless days, yet in the, the grandest overarching sense, we have hope because of what Christ has done for us. Hebrews says this, we have this as a sure, and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. And then lastly, ask the Lord to help you discern the noise. We've already established we can't always do something about the noise around us, but when noise is in us, we got some work to do because it means there's some self-rule, some self-reliance some pride. So discern the noise. What's the noise going on inside you? Where does it come from? Where are you busy or preoccupied? What or where might you be hoping in above Jesus Christ? Ask the Lord to show you. And now the self-rule, the pride. Where have you elevated yourself for things too great for you? Above your pay grade. To feed an appetite. To hunger for some ease or security, some recognition, some control, or some manufactured peace. That's not right-sized before God. Humble yourself. Repent of pride and self-rule. And come back under your great caregiver, God the Father. So Father, we, we do, we lift you up. There's no one like you who made this beautiful creation from, his, from the word of your mouth and yet you're mindful of us. So we, we bless you, Lord, and we thank you for your sovereignty and your power. 
and that, that you care for us. And Jesus, we thank you for your obedience, for your perfect life live, and your, your willingness to submit to the will of the Father, even in the face of death, to, to draw in the truth of God's will and, and let it minister to your own heart and then walk in obedience so that we could have life because of your death so that we could be called sons and daughters and beloved because of your obedience. Thank you, Jesus. And Lord, we ask you forgive us. Forgive us for areas of self-rule and self-reliance. It is our pride. It is our pride. And, and, and then we draw in false hopes. We draw in things to silence the noise. And, and, and in so doing, we've, we've run to false gods, to, to things that will not deliver salvation, the things that will not deliver peace. Forgive us, we pray. And we thank you for the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. And we thank you that we can ask all these things of you and know that they're done because of your goodness. We ask all this in Christ's name, amen.